Well, good morning, family. I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians and chapter 5 this morning. Before we come to the Word, let's go to prayer. Father, we are so grateful for this hour to come together as the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to worship together, to fellowship together, to encourage one another. What precious time this is. I do pray that even as most of our kids have headed downstairs, that you would just encourage our young people as they head into the school year, all the challenges there of living as young men and young women for Jesus Christ, as being lights in the world there. It's a, it's a, a difficult thing, and I, I just ask your grace on our high schoolers and middle schoolers, elementary schoolers, our college students. Father, keep them strong in you, and may they make an impact in their classes and with their friends and their classmates, uh, pointing people to Jesus Christ. Be with our teachers and encourage them and help them as uh, pretty much every teacher I know is there because they care about kids and they care about you and they want to be a light that points kids to Jesus Christ. And so we pray for them. We pray this morning as well for uh, our college kids on the retreat, ask for uh, safety for them and, and a spiritually uh, encouraging weekend. And uh, this morning we also lift before you the Schiefelbein family. Our brother Gordon uh, had a stroke yesterday and it appears that he is, his time of going home to you is, is very close at hand. We pray that his passing will be peaceful and that you will be with Barbara and the family and give them strength and comfort uh, in these hours. Now, Father, as we come to your word, we're so grateful that you meet us here and you speak to us through your word. And we pray that as you do this morning, that we will be listening, listening not only with our ears, but with our hearts. May we then take what you have to say and put it into practice for our good and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I've learned over the years, no matter how valuable an object may be, no matter how marvelous its craftsmanship, no matter how sophisticated its technology, any object, if we... Uh, you know, something like the latest iPhone, if we abuse it, it looks like that. If we take something precious like a Stradivarius violin and we use it the wrong way, <laughs> we can do some damage. Or if we simply take a classic like a Ferrari and just neglect to maintain it, it can become that. What I figured out is, basically, no matter how valuable something is, no matter how marvelous the craftsmanship, no matter how great the technology, we can find a way to turn almost anything into junk. 
The more complex and more precious something is, the more important it is that we learn how to properly use it, how to properly care for it so that it will remain beautiful and useful and valuable. And generally, the best source of information, whatever it is, the best source is the designer and the maker. Well, in our lives, next to our relationship with God, probably the most important and most valuable thing in our lives, and perhaps the most complex thing in our lives, is our relationships with others, especially with our family. And so we have been aiming this month to renovate our relationships to do better in our relationships. Because I think we all want healthy, beautiful, and beneficial relationships, but we tend to bring into our relationships bad thinking and bad behaviors and bad habits and all kinds of other baggage we bring along because we are sinners who live under the roof with other sinners and... So our relationships are in constant need of remodeling and re-renovating. So for that, to that end, we have come this month to the book of Ephesians and to chapters 4 and 5 and 6 because these chapters are replete. They are filled with, with wonderful information and instruction about relationships And this information is coming from the manufacturer, from the designer, from our Creator God. In the past two weeks, we were in chapter 4 and in the first half of chapter 5. And what we discovered there was God had information dealing generally with all of our relationships. We called it checking the foundations. General principles, actually commands to you and me that have to do with how we treat others. Others in the body of Christ, others in our family, and others just in general in the world. There were a lot of things there. We called them keys to good relationships, put them together in a little flyer just so we can have a reference. Because what I discovered in this is that some of us need a little help. Actually, all of us need a lot of help. I've heard from a lot of you over the last couple of weeks going, Pastor, stop beating me up. Well, it's not me. It's the Word of God. This stuff is hard. It's convicting. Yes, it is. And it's life-changing if we'll apply it. So if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, I'll say what I've never I don't think I've ever said before, that is you need to go back and listen to those messages. Uh, It's not self-promotion. It is saying you need to go listen to what the Scripture has to say there. You can catch it on our website or talk to me and I'll get you a cassette tape if you need that, okay, or whatever you need. If If that's the technology you've got, you know, we'll find it. Uh, the other thing is I encourage you to take one of these. These flyers are available in back on the, in the Koinonia Center and, and as you head out. I encourage you to take those and use them not as a scorecard for your husband or wife, but uh, for your personal learning and improvement. Now, with that in mind, we come to the second half of Ephesians 5 today to verse 22 and on down through verse 30. 
And the text calls us, moving, moves us from relationships in general to relationships in specific, speaking about marriage. And this applies to all of us. Even if you're here this morning, you say, I'm not married. Can I just take a pass and go get coffee? Well, you know, I don't care if you're, if you're not married. Most of you or many of you unmarried hope to get married someday. Maybe that's long past, but, but uh, all of us know married people. And married people need encouragement. They sometimes need counsel. They sometimes need wisdom. We do well to learn what God has to say here about marriage. Here in the passage before us is one of the most debated and uh, one of the most debated among believers and among unbelievers and the culture out there, one of the most mocked, scorned, and and ridiculed passage of Scripture. So we're venturing into turf this morning where few dare to tread. But I encourage you this morning, stick with me through the whole message. I promise and I'm confident that this message is going to step on everybody's toes equally, painfully. But I'm going to do my very best to lay out very clearly, here's what God says. Not Pastor Keith's opinion, not somebody else's opinion, but what does God say? So at the end of this message, it's not about, do I agree with Pastor Keith? Because that really counts for that much in eternity. None of us will answer to Pastor Keith when we get stand before God. We answer to him. Here's what God says. Now what are we going to do with what God says? That's where I want us to end this morning. Last week we ended with verse 21 of chapter 5, which states, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That was a great summary of those 25 things, which I just realized nobody told me all week long. Everybody's complained. Nobody bothered to point out that I say right on the cover, there's 24 things here. Well, there's really a bonus. There's 25 inside. Okay, math was never my strong suit. I was a music major, all right? So there's actually 25. Just consider it a bonus. One more thing to work on. But anyway, those 25 things, I appreciate that with all of that, it was, it was overload for most of us because we go, I need help with all of them. I struggle with them all. Well, it's nice that here we come to marriage, and I love the fact that God in His wisdom, speaking through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, makes it simple. There's just two commands, one for wives and one for husbands. Not easy, but simple. And here we go. It starts off with the wives. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your own husbands. Words that I imagine... No woman wants to hear. And the word submission likely conjures up images like this in your mind. Or maybe an image like this. Women, know your place! Or an image like this. Or something like that. Truly... 
Much of the opposition, much of the objection, much of the ridicule to this text is understandable because these words have been misused and misconstrued over the years to justify things like that. Ungodly, wicked, perverse treatment of women. And we, but we can't simply dismiss these words. Because they are here in the Word of God, God has spoken. And it's not just some flute that somehow got stuck into the text by accident. It's here. You'll find it also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. You'll find it also in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. You'll find not these exact words, but the same concept as in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So it obviously is something that we need to pay attention to and we need to listen to God. So we ask the question, well, what does the word submit mean? And that's a great question. The word literally in the Greek, it is literally translated. It's a a military term to those of you who have been in military. It's, it's a term which means to rank under. It is a term, in other words, to submit to authority. It also is a reflexive verb here, a reflexive command, meaning that it says, women, submit yourselves. Put yourself under your husband. That says, well, why in the world would I want to do that? And that's a great question. God, in the Scripture, often gives commands. Many times He does not give the reasons why, does He? Kind of like us as parents. Kids, do this! And the kids say, why? And as parents, we wisely answer, because I said so. Every one of us saying, I will never say that to my kids. (laughs) Because we hated that when we were growing up. And yet we find those words tumbling out of our mouth periodically as parents. God doesn't often explain. And here he doesn't fully explain, but he does give one reason. Notice the next verses. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He says the answer is, why? Is because the husband is the head of the wife. He says in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Bottom line answer There's the reason, but the bottom line answer is because God has declared it so. Jesus is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. That doesn't mean, this doesn't state, and it doesn't mean here in Scripture that wives have no voice, that wives can have no opinion, that they have no input, that they have no wisdom, that they have no value. In fact, quite the opposite. Husbands, most of us understand, our wives generally have very much to offer. They often have greater wisdom. They often have greater insight. 
Most of our wives are more talented than we are. They are smarter than we are. We do well to admit that and recognize it. But it's saying that when push comes to shove, wives, it says you are to yield to your husband's lead. Three important clarifications. The first is this. It doesn't mean that women are inferior to men. They are not. Genesis chapter 1, I'll talk about that in a minute. Women are on equal footing with men in Genesis 1. If we go back to the beginning of this book, to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3, we look in those chapters, everything that we read in those chapters that it says about our identity, that we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world, that we are saved by the precious blood of His Son, that we have been adopted into God's family as His children. When it talks about our inheritance, when it talks about the power that we have in Christ, when it talks about our destiny, what we discover is it is identical, it is the same for men and women in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. For that very reason, the Apostle Peter reminds us that our wives, husbands, are worthy of honor and respect, as it says here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, living with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, that is physically, they tend to be weaker than us, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered says they are worthy of honor. They're worthy of respect because they are co-heirs. They are heirs with us. And by the way, you'll notice when we don't treat our wives right, our prayers are hindered. There's a warning there, husbands. So this is not saying at all that women are inferior to men. The Scripture is quite clear. And as I said, we also all know by experience our wives are not inferior creatures. Another important clarification is that it says here, women, you are to submit yourselves, notice that little word, to your, what's the word that comes before husbands? Own. Submission is limited to your own husband. In other words, the submission here is not because of gender, that all women are to submit to all men. It says that it's because of relationship and that Submission is restricted to your marriage relationship. Here. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Another important thing to notice in this, another important clarification is that this command is given to the wife, not the husband. Notice it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband's. There is no command that I can find. You can educate me if I'm wrong, but I have dug, I have looked in the Scriptures, finding a command that says, Husbands, subject your wife. Husbands, get your wives to submit. Make them submit. You find it, you educate me, but I've searched. I've looked. It's not there. This command, every time it is given, it is given to the wife, and it says, Wives, Submit yourselves to your own husbands. That's significant. 
There's no command for men to beat their women down. That has been done at times in places, but it is not biblical. And I would say it is not godly. And everything that we have seen in chapters 4 and the first half of chapters 5 would demonstrate that to be the case, as will more of what comes here this morning. One last thing, women, wives, this command is not conditional. I've looked for the fine print. I've searched these passages. I've looked for the escape clause, the exceptions. I can't find any listed. There's no escape here because your husband is foolish or because your husband is boring, because your husband is a fuddy-duddy, because your husband is obnoxious, because your husband is wrong, or even because your husband is an unbeliever. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, specifically includes unbelieving husbands. And it says, wives, you ladies who are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you submit yourself to your husband, to your unbelieving husband, hopefully that by your testimony, by your grace, by your goodness and your kindness, he will be one to the Lord. There's no conditions here. That said, I do believe is quite appropriate for a woman to protect herself and or her children from harm. When a man is violent, dangerous, that is not something that this text here is forbidding. And Scripture certainly allows for any of us to obey God, the higher authority, when, it is in, when his commands are in contradiction to a lower authority. That principle is clear throughout the Old Testament and the New. The apostles, when they were told, stop speaking in the name of Jesus, they said very respectfully, well, we can't do that because God has told us to speak. And so it is in the home. If a husband is contradicting God, you must obey God, the higher authority, rather than the lower authority. Other than those conditions, though, again, I see that there are no exceptions to this. Well, women, there you go. Three verses, one command, and we move to the men. One command, six verses. We get double the text. Why is that? Because we're thick-headed and stubborn. We need a little more explanation. Because it says, here's the command, verse 25, just one instruction, husbands, love your wives. If he didn't give us six verses, we'd just say, yep, got it. We need help to understand. Husbands, love your wives. Two phrases are given here in this text to help us dis- help describe and help us understand what this love looks like. Verse 25 continues, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does loving your wife look like? Death. Self-sacrifice. Giving yourself. How are we to love her wives? Love our wives? Christ died for the church. He died for us. I was reading a 
different people describing what love is. One said this, love is steadying the ladder for your wife so she doesn't fall when painting the ceiling. Okay, this text says it goes a lot farther. (laughs) If we are willing to die for our wife, what that also means is we are willing then to live for her. And that's what it's calling us to do. We are willing to live for her good. We are willing daily to give up our lives for our wives. Daily to be their servant. See, when Jesus talked about what it is, and he calls here the man the head. He tells the woman the husband is the head of the wife. It means we are to be the leader. When Jesus talked about leadership, when he was talking to his disciples, he said that for my followers, if you're going to be a follower of mine, leadership is different from you than the rest of the world. Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, in other words, in the unbelieving world, those people who aren't followers of mine, they're rulers... He says, they lord it over them, meaning the people they are leading. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it must not be so. It shall not be so among you. Husbands, if God has appointed us as leaders in our home, our leadership is to be different. We are not to be those who lord our authority over our home, but rather, whoever would be great among you, he says, must be your servant. When God calls us into leadership, He calls us to be a servant. And as a servant, He says, as a husband, we are to be self-sacrificing to the very point of death and all that goes between here and there. For what purpose does a husband sacrifice himself? The text continues. Why did Jesus sacrifice himself for us? Verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. Jesus died to save us. And husbands, I think most of us know that we'd step in front of a bullet in a second to save our wife and our family. Jesus did that. But He did that for a purpose. And the purpose was to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to beautify us, to purify us. And so it is that for us, we are to live for our wives with our aim being for her good, for her glory to elevate our wives, to help her be radiant and to grow and to flourish and to succeed. Not to hold our wives down, but to lift them up, to encourage them to try things they wouldn't try without our encouragement, do things they wouldn't do without our encouragement, that they might be and become everything that God created them to be to flourish and to bloom, to succeed. That's what it means to love like Christ loves the church. But here's another illustration of what it is for us to love our wives. 
Not only to love like Christ loved the church, but look in verse 28. He says, we are to love our wives in the same way, he says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He says, love your wives as your own bodies. In the next verses, and we'll get there next week, Pastor Aaron actually is going to teach next week. The Apostle Paul takes us back to the book of Genesis where we're reminded there that marriage is the joining of two people into one flesh. And it's interesting, he says here, that you're to, he says that he who loves his wife loves himself. And I think he's reminding us that back there in Genesis it says that the two become one flesh. And he says that loving your wife is a smart thing to do because if you love your wife and now, now that you're married, your wife and you are one flesh. The two have become one. He says if you don't love your wife, it comes back on you because you are your wife. And she is you, you're one, and it comes back to you. But if you do love your wife, that also comes back to you. So he says, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. Partly because you benefit, but it's more than that. It's more than that. He describes what this love looks like. For no one ever hated his own flesh, verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. See, we are members of Christ's body and He loves and cares for us. Likewise, our wives are members of our body. We are joined together and so we don't hate our body, we care for it. Guys, none of us hate our body. I mean, we may look in the mirror and go, wow, I wish I looked better. I wish I had defined abs. (laughs) You know, I wish I had a smaller rear package. Uh, you know, I wish I had uh, more hair. You know, I wish I had... We may look and say, man, I wish I had these things. But the reality is we love ourselves. We, we pamper our body with stuff we like. You know, so we eat ice cream and pizza. We drink soda and we buy Lazy Boy recliners. He says, what does it mean to love our wives? It means to do as we would for ourselves. Don't hold back what is good. Don't hold back what is beneficial and uplifting and enjoyable for our wives. So we are to love her like ourselves, meaning to nourish her. And, he says here, to cherish her. To honor her. Pamper her. That's what is right. A couple of observations about these commands to the men. First is, I note that he says that we are all members of Christ's body. That means you, me, our wives, gentlemen, are members of Christ's body. What that means is if we don't treat our wives lovingly, then we are treating whose body unlovingly? It'd be Christ's body. I thought about that this week, and I thought, you know, that's so. It's not just wrong; it's dangerous. I mean, you're not treating Christ's body well. I don't think He takes that very kindly. So, just a little thought there. Another little thought. First Corinthians chapter eleven affirms that husbands are the head of the wife, but it also affirms there that 
Christ is the head of the husband. Just as in the military, remember the term is rank under, that word submit. What goes in, in the military is with every rank, there is accountability to, for the one here, for the ones under him. And so, and who are you accountable to? The authority above. So when it says that husbands, you are the head of the wife, and it says that Christ is the head of you, there is an accountability there. And so this is a sobering thought. You know, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin comes into the world, who sinned first? Who ate the fruit first? Eve. Who does the Bible hold accountable? Adam. Romans 4, by one man sin entered into the world. Why is that? Because Adam was the head. What that says, men, is we are responsible for what goes on in our homes, in the way that we lead, in the way that we love. One more, one last observation. Just as with the wives, there is no, there are no conditions. Uh, again, look for the fine print, the exception clauses, the escape clauses. I couldn't find them. We are to love our wives regardless. Regardless if they spend too much, regardless if they sleep too much, regardless if they talk too much, regardless if they are not submissive or if they don't meet our needs or whatever it is, we are to love our wives, period. We are to love them as Christ loved the church. We are to love them as our own body. There you have it. There's the teaching in these verses on marriage. There will be more next week. But it raises a question. Of all the things that we could say to husbands and wives, why just these two? Most of us could think of a whole, you know, a bookload of stuff (laughs) that your husband needs to hear, (laughs) that your wife needs to hear. Why just these two things? Well, the first answer to that question is I think Paul is simply assuming that you read chapter 4 and the first half to chapter 5 that we spent the last two weeks going through. Because these things are critical and essential. And most of the things that are here are the things that we would put into that bookload of stuff that your husband needs to hear and that your wife needs to hear. Those 25 things, commands that we saw that are essential for good relationships there in the chapters before. That's the first reason. But the second reason why I think he picks these two out of all those other things, I think we find the answer to that back in the beginning. Not in the beginning of this chapter, and not even the beginning of the book of Ephesians, but back in the beginning of the book. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and two, and three. And I'm just going to hit a couple of things. You can do your own study and see. Now, I may may not be right in this, but I think that I understand that what, why he chose these two from Genesis 1 through 3. First, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28 God declares there that men and women, his intention to create people. 
And God said, you recall, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and God said, let us create man in our image after our likeness. And he goes on, and the Lord God created them. It says, male and female, he created them. By the way, God says, let us create them in our image after our likeness and let them rule, let them have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, etc. Several things to grab from those couple of little verses. First of all, God declares there that men and women are both equally created in His image and they are equally created in terms of position of regency or rule over creation. Another important thing is that God created them as two sexes slash two genders, which are the same thing, despite a world that is trying to change all that. God could not be clearer in His Word that He created binary people, male and female. I'm sorry there is so much confusion in the world and I feel sorry for those who are confused, but the Creator God could not be clearer. And we help no one when we don't listen to what God has said. And speak truth lovingly and gently and graciously. But there's more. When we get to chapter 2, verse 18, we see that the, the distinction of the sexes, the distinction of the gender is about more than just procreation. It's not that God just needed a man and a woman so they could have babies and populate the world. It's more than that. God says, Genesis chapter 2, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. There's a key phrase there, that last phrase. You need to understand. I will make a helper. I will make for Adam a helper fit for him, and that is Eve. That word helper is an important word. That word helper means to assist. Implied right there is the principle that becomes clearer later and later in Scripture. Again, what we heard here in this passage, that the husband is the head of the wife. It was intended that way from the beginning, that the wife was created as a helper to come alongside and work with Adam as his helper. Secondly, that word, a helper fit, the word means literally suitable or corresponding to and literally matching the need. In geometry terms, they are complements. She would be a complement to him. A complement means not, oh, you look lovely today. Not, not that kind of compliment, but the word that means that completes, that takes what is lacking and completes so that together a complementary angle, you get two angles that form a straight line. It completes the line. What God has just said was He created Adam and Eve with a design in the interaction between the male and the female in the marriage relationship to complete something. 
They are unique and they are different, and yet they are equal in the image of God, equal in their their position as rulers, co-rulers over creation, equal as we saw later in Ephesians, equal in all of these things, equal and yet different. And in this relationship, they are to come together with the man as the leader, the head, and the woman as the willing helper, and together the two of them, as complements to each other, become greater than the two of them individually could ever be. And they accomplish more, and they accomplish God's purpose for them. And then comes Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, sin comes into the picture. Adam and Eve sin. They eat of the fruit that God said don't eat and everything changes. The wheels fall off. And sin comes in and sin brings death. Sin brings illness. Sin brings, sin brings a curse upon the world by God. And God speaks in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, a verse that is often misunderstood and often misused. And here it is. It says, speaking to Eve, God says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And some folks read this verse, and they read it to understand and to say that that women desire a husband, and yet men will rule over them. Literally, the word their rule is to dominate them. And they say that this verse then describes that the way, how things should be. They're describing the way that, that things ought to be and use this verse to somehow justify dominating their wives. And I say this verse is a challenge to understand, but I think it is exactly the opposite of that. And there are two very big clues that unlock this verse for us. The first is... Simply the context. It is always dangerous to simply take a verse out of Scripture and just isolate it and read it and say, here's what it is. You should always read the verse in context to make sure that, because that's where you find what it means. If you look at this verse in context, what you realize is God is not saying, hey, human race, here's the way things should be. Women, you're going to desire a husband and man, they're going to dominate over you. What you realize is what God is describing as He speaks to the serpent, then to the woman, then to the man. God is saying, here's the way things are going to be because of sin. There's a bunch of curses coming down on this world because of sin. Things are going to be a mess. And in that context, He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. He's not saying it's good. He's saying, this is what sin is going to do. Now, there's more to it though. And it's that word desire. And it's a difficult one to translate. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not any kind of a scholar. But I read the Hebrew scholars and and, uh, it's a difficult word to translate because it doesn't have a lot of usage. And as it's translated here, it is in in many translations, your desire shall be for your husband or to your husband. But the word is only really used one other place and it's in the next chapter. And it's from there, if you grab the context, if you grab it, and the the scholars are saying a better translation of this, because it is 
it is a, a desire that goes towards something, but there's something more that goes with it. And it's a desire to rule, a desire to control. And in that sense, it's not a desire towards something, but a desire against something, which I just found last night as I was in the ESV translation on my computer and I'm reading. It's different than what I've been reading in my printed text. Apparently, they've updated it. The current ESV translation says, your desire shall be against your husband. I think that's an accurate translation. The net translation of this verse has it this way. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. See, what this just did was say exactly what we see in the world today. Because of sin. Sinful man, because he is stronger physically, typically, will tend to dominate women, even their wives. And women will do what, in their, their own sinful selves, will seek to get around that. To, to manipulate or control or go around their husbands. It is called the battle of the sexes. And it has been what we've seen throughout human history from Genesis chapter 3 until today. Huh. Isn't that interesting? So why are these verses here, these two commands, just these two? Because I believe what the Apostle Paul is doing through the, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is simply calling attention to, here's the battleground, ladies and gentlemen. For believers in Jesus Christ, what we want to do is to try to go back to the model, to go back to the, the original plan of what God designed and desires for your marriage to be. And it is for you as husbands to lead, but not to lead as a brute or a tyrant or a dictator, but to lead as a servant who is sacrificing for your wives. And for you wives to be the willing partner who comes alongside and says, I'm going with you. I'm working with you to get there. And we work together in harmony. And our sinful nature fights against that every step of the way, doesn't it? Just one thing. Wives, you're going to struggle with your just one thing. Submit yourselves to your husband. You're going to struggle trusting and allowing your husband to lead. I guarantee it because he's a sinner. And because your husband will fail, and he'll fail miserably sometimes. And because your husband will lead poorly, and because your husband is sometimes going to be inconsiderate, and he's going to be inconsistent, or maybe because he is angry, or he might even be domineering, and sometimes he just won't do anything at all. And that, I've heard, is very frustrating. Sometimes you're then tempted to undermine him, or to manipulate him, or to go around him, or to nag him, or to fight him, or to ignore him, or to withhold affection, or whatever. But God calls for you to submit to him and to honor him and to encourage him. By the way, just a little secret, ladies. There is little, if anything, in this world that will, that will motivate a man greater than your affirmation, your confidence, and your praise. Don't underestimate that ever. Because underneath men's tough exterior, they're all a bunch of insecure babies.
into the little secret stuff. Husbands, you will struggle to love your wife. Sometimes it's because she might be naggy or she might be manipulative or she might be contentious or perhaps because she isn't meeting your needs or you think she doesn't respect you or she doesn't even care about you. Sometimes any or all of those things. But the reality is more often than not, you're going to struggle loving your wife because you're a pig-headed, selfish, self-centered man. Speaking as one. God calls for us men to take initiative and to love our wives, to love them sacrificially, to love them wholeheartedly, to love them as ourselves, no matter what. This is hard stuff, isn't it? And not what most people think it is, though, is it? It's actually something beautiful that God designed that sin marred And we struggle to implement. But the more that we aim toward this, the more that God will do beautiful and good things in our marriages. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Doesn't tell us what we want to hear, but it tells us what we need to hear. Doesn't tell us what the culture out there, it doesn't tell us the same thing they are, but it tells us the truth. It tells us the way things really are. So, Father, I pray that we would listen to your wisdom, listen to your word, and then we'll seek to put it into practice. And we need your help, whether it's these two commands or the other 25 that we saw over the last two weeks, how we need your help. But, Lord, we need to do these things for our own good, for, our, for the good of our families. And when we do, ultimately, it will bring greater joy and fulfillment into our lives. But we need to do it just simply because it's right. And above all, we need to do it because it brings honor and glory to you. So help us, weak, frail creatures. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.